Hello everyone and welcome to another video here on the Cycling Day and Extra channel and today we are doing another one of our team reviews and this time is the British juggernauts of Ineos Grenadiers and to discuss everything Ineos I have Patrick Blake of Audu Cycling and one third of the Echelon Cycling Podcast and I mean Patrick Ineos Grenadiers we all know Egan Bernal kind of was their big star but unfortunately had that crash so He's still on the way of recovery, but yeah, 2023, what did you kind of draw out from this season? I feel like I'm quite prone to being harsh on Ineos, um, but to be fair, I've just taken a look through their results and it's actually a, a decent performance from them this year. No, they didn't get the Grand Tour victory, but you know that's quite hard to do in the modern era with all the really top quality talent that we've got on offer. So I think that Ineos did a pretty decent job all in all of of getting good results in throughout the year. But yeah, where should where should we start dissecting their results from? Yeah, well we'll go through Grand Tour monuments, but we'll start with in terms of the results outside of the well the World Tour and Monument outside the Grand Tours and Monuments. Obviously thirty six victories, quite a big scalp. Last one coming with Josh Tarling winning the Chrono De Nationon, De Nationon, uh, in front of uh, Remco Venepoel. And their first victory was the uh, Australian National Road Race with Luke Plapp. So in between all that, <laughs> what happened in between, Patrick? A lot. Um, a lot sort of happened. You had quite a lot of stage victories in there in races like uh, Tour of the Alps, which they also won with Theo Gegenhardt. Um they also had a stage win in Basque Country, Terreno, Volta Algarve. They actually won with Danny Martinez. Lots of success in the national championships. Many victories by Jonathan Navarez in the Tour of Austria. Tour of Wallonie, they won as well. That was a very dominant performance by Filippo Gano. Pretty decent success in the Grand Tours all in all, but we'll deep dive a bit more into that in, in a little bit. And quick point out that Tarling did get, well, he matched Avenapol as the youngest victor in a grand uh, in, a, in a world tour level event by winning that TT in the Renewi tour. So there's plenty of uh, success to be going at this year from Ineos Grenadiers. And yeah, I, th- I think they had a very sort of balanced year all in all. Lots of success in some smaller races, some mid kind of like world tour level stage races, but also in the grand tours. So it's good to see that they're mixing it in lots of different levels and not just kind of focusing all their success in one area. Yeah, I think that was a very good summation. What did you make of the Pickock victory? It was very touch and go for a while in Strad Bianchi and then yeah, another never in doubt. another cyclocross world champion winning in Strada. Pickock's victory was never in doubt, Scott. <laughs> it, it was it was seen years ago that this was going to happen. It was it was portrayed by the forefathers. Of cycling, I I swear I I swear like Jacques Jacques Anquetil back in the day said that Pitcock was going to win this race before he was um, <laughs> exactly he just he he foresaw it. Um, I've, I mean Pitcock's win at Stellardi was probably one of the highlights of the year for them. Let's face it, they didn't have that much success in one day races. They were competitive, but their victories in one day races have certainly you know not been what they've been in the past. And I think that Pitcock's win at Stellardi was quite almost like a crown jewel in their 
Palmares for this year. I don't think that it really got much better from a one-day race perspective than Pidcock winning there. But I swear there was also some stuff like, it wasn't like this best field wasn't like Wildman Art out of it because of some kind of COVID. I can't remember. I don't think it was Vanderpool dropped early as well. So you can throw all that at it, but he did win it at the end of the day. Still won it. Yeah, he still won it. You still win it to win it. That descent, though, like he is just a mm. demon. Uh, yeah. Well, we might as well. We're we're kind of <laughs> leaking into the monument section here, even though you you adamantly denied that the strata should be a monument. But we're not going to go into that. And then it's going to turn into a half an hour podcast on just that. But uh, in terms of the first the first monument, Milan San Remo, we were a bit well, we didn't really know what they were going with. And then Macho Vanderpool flies up the, well, the top of the podium, flies down it. And then who would have thought Filippo Ghana takes second place, beating out Wild Vinat. Yeah. I mean, that was just, it's just insane, wasn't it? I couldn't quite believe my eyes when I saw it. And it was certainly, I don't know, it was almost foreboding in a way for how Ghana then did in some of the sprints of a welter, it's, it's you know, but you know, God, yeah, it's just insane. I still can't quite get my head around it, but he was just, yeah, that good at, at San Remo. I think it's always been kind of rumored, well, not rumored, but predicted that Ghana should be able to do a decent job on Milano San Remo. But I think everybody thought, oh, he'll get over the top and go solo and win that way. But yeah, beating Woutman Art in a sprint, a guy who's won a sprint on the Champs-Élysées, that is no mean feat. So Ghana really kind of stating his intentions as a bit of a, a one-day racer as well. I mean, then we go on to kind of Tour of Flanders, not the same success here. Navaya's best rider, 25th, Paru Bay. The top 10 just escaped me for whatever reason. They're so focused about Macho Vanderpool winning and Philipson's second, but yeah, of course. In sixth place, Filippo Gano, under 23 winner of the race before and always been talking about his potential of winning that race. Uh, yeah, what do you make of that couple classics? Um, I think it was a little bit below expectation. You know, the main one being Gano, sixth place in, in Roubaix. Like you say, that was always sort of... It's been a race which has been touted as a race which suits him and you know the lacking climbs it's it's very suited towards a ruler type of rider but yeah not really good at Flanders Pidcock's always sort of been the one who they're hinting at is going to be the leader there but he was I remember him being sort of near that front group but then he just completely just blew up uh, and ended up finishing like 50 something so I don't think it was it really wasn't the greatest of of cobbled classic campaigns from the Ineos Grenadiers. The Ardennes campaign was a, a lot more successful where you look at, you know, especially just Pidcock's results. He finished um, on the podium of Amstel Gold Race, finished third there. Not great at La Flesh alone. Pidcock finishing 18th there. So that was a bit of a surprise. I think that Pidcock, again, a rider who you'd think very light, very good climb, a good punch. You'd think he'd be right up there with, you know, like a Skelmosa and Chicone and stuff in La Flesh Willow. So that was a bit of a surprise. But then he did finish in second place at Liège, Bastogne Liège. Of course, Pogaccio DNF that race. But 
yeah, second place at a monument is is good. And I think that, you know, Pidcock hadn't podiumed a monument to that point, I don't think. I can't remember. So this was his first monument that he had podiumed. So that was a good building block, in my opinion, towards him kind of being like a very competitive one-day racer after his win at, at Stade Bianchi, which still isn't a monument, uh, <laughs> I would like to point out. You, even when the 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 king of Yorkshire wins it, it's not a monument. So that's no, it's not. Shows that shows my adamant opinion. Yeah, exactly. It. Like, yeah, no, I think it was, uh, yeah, great. Yeah, obviously, Remco Venepol was on a different level than everyone else, and uh, yeah, Tar- uh, well, yeah, Pogacar was out as well, obviously because of the crash. But uh, Peacock did a great job to do his best, like you said, get his first podium. Uh, Elon Bardia, uh, obviously, that's the most recent one in our memory. I mean, I was expecting more from Pavel Sivakov. He had such a great lead up to the race, coming close to one of the cases in Canada and uh, very good. Well, won the, was it the Coppa Sabatini, I think, and then very close as well. But yeah, the, the strongest rider was Carlos Rodriguez, seventh place, uh, behind their former rider of Adam Yates in sixth place. Yeah, it just shows that they are just more of a... That they are a stronger climbing team still. They are going through this, I don't know, rebuilding that they state that they're going through, but I think they are still more of a climbing-based team than a sort of cobble-based team, um, despite the sort of really good talent that they've got in there. I mean, even like somebody like, I don't know, like Magnus Sheffield is still sort of, after his Barbron Sapel win, still hasn't quite done the one-day results, which we've expected from him. But I think that, you know, there's still lots of time in the future. He's still very young. So I think, you know, maybe I'm being a bit too... uh, set my expectations too high, possibly. Yeah, we might as well move on to the Grand Tours, starting with the Giro d'Italia. Quite a surprising one from Gary Thomas, obviously former Tour de France winner himself. Podium just last year, but really up there obviously uh benefiting a bit from Remco Venepol testing positive for COVID or the illness whatever it was and yeah what did you make of Ineos Grandes no stage wins but yeah Gary Thomas almost 14 seconds away from winning the Giro can you imagine this review would be so much different I think if it weren't for those 14 seconds um you know, if Ineos got a Grand Tour this year, there would be, uh, yeah, I think our opinions would be a lot more upbeat, possibly, about it. But second place is still, you know, it makes it seem like second place is like 68th place. It's like <laughs> completely just like null. But second place is still incredibly good. You have to remember that Theo Gegenhart went into this race, but crashed out, unfortunately, on stage 11. And he'd won the Tour of the Alps. He'd had a very good start to the year at lots of like races like uh, I think it was like Catalonia, uh, Comunitat Valenciana. Gegenhart really came out of the blocks, like just flying this year. And I think there was even thinking that he was going to be a, a podium candidate for the Giro this year. So it was a bit of a shame that we, I don't know, have never seen. I mean, Gegenhart, yes, he has won the Giro d'Italia in the past. Um, in the COVID era, so there's still a little bit of a caveat over kind of like, I don't know, the uh, level or whatever. But that's a whole different discussion. Does he have the trophy? 
I don't know. I don't know. It does. It does. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I just think that, yeah, it would have been cool to see how, how, how he would have done. I think that the race would have played out quite differently if Gagan Hart was there as well with like one, two attacks, maybe. So, but I, second place, still, still very good. Very strong performance from like Arendsman and Deplutz as well to support G. I think it was a really good performance from Ineos Grenadiers. I would dare to argue that maybe they were the strongest GC team in the race. Yeah, three in top 10, like you said, with those two. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Really uh, good Giro. Well, we might as well move on to the Tour de France. And obviously, we were a bit like, who are they going with here? And uh, eventually, it was Carlos Rodriguez that came out and did a fairly good job, to be honest, to get inside the top five and win a stage win. Mm. Yeah, what did you make of their tour? I thought, like you say, because we're going into the tour and we're quite pessimistic, I think, about just their like leadership. We were just like, ah, oh, you know, maybe they go over Rodriguez, oh, where's he going to finish? Oh, probably somewhere between, you know, six and 10th. But like you say, fifth place. With a win on stage 14, which was sort of like on that downhill where there was that whole Pagaccio and Jonas into the back of a motorbike with the crowds and stuff. That whole controversy, it was that stage. Easy to forget to forget that the day before then, Grand Colombier, Michal Kwiatkowski won from a breakaway. And, you know, I think two stage wins back to back by Ineos Grenadiers, that is above what I was expecting from them this year. I personally didn't I I was like are we gonna get a win? It might come from a pidcock in the first couple of days on the puncher sort of finishes. But yeah, Kvikovsky and Rodriguez really good. Also Pidcock, although he finished 13th in GC at the end, was was up there. Like he was up there in the top ten, really fighting tooth and nail up until I mean Grand Colombia he finished, I think it was like top five the day after that pretty much where Rodriguez was doing well, Pidcock was dropping. So that was sort of the end of his GC fight, but I still think it was a decent GC performance from Pidcock, really building upon his 2022 tour, where, of course, he won that stage up out of Duez, but he was also 16th in GC, something like that. So I think it was a real solid performance from Ineos, considering that I didn't have too high expectations going into it. Yeah, that is a perfect summary of yeah, and I completely agree with you as well. I don't yeah, I don't think many people were thinking that they were gonna be doing much, to be honest. They're kind of still missing that big crown jewel that was gonna be banal, but we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, Welta España. Yeah, this was more the kind of <laughs> uh Ineos I was expecting in, in the tour. But yeah, one stage win with Ghana, he was up there in the sprints. That's about that's about it, wasn't it? Garrett Thomas, unfortunately, not hitting the mark. I was pretty miffed because he was on my Vela Games team. That was a bad decision. They, um, yeah, they, they had crashes. Like in the first time, yeah. Duplus is out, and then Aronsman crashed out as well. So it wasn't like it was yeah, bad luck. It was bad luck all around. It was like the opposite of uh, Giro d'Italia, where everyone everyone's doing really, really well there, and now, like you say. The Plus being lost on stage one was just a real kick in the teeth because I think that, you know, there was a lot of hype about him going into this race as well as kind of, oh, they're going to repeat what they did in the Giro. G might finish on the podium, but very quickly he he dropped out of contention and ended up finishing outside the top 30 in GC. The only real thing that 
was of note was that stage which Jesus Harada won. G was in the break there and finished fifth, but let's face it, from a guy who's won the tour, finishing fifth on some slightly like not particularly steep mountaintop finish is, is not uh, what we're really looking for. Like I say, Ghana did get that stage win, so they did get something out of it. It wasn't a great as well. To, I'm trying to think of something positive to say, but I don't know. Well, Ghana winning, that, that has to be it, no? Well, yeah, that's true. That, that, that's it. But from a team like Ineos, one stage win isn't really... Yeah, with no enough. GC as well, yeah. Yeah, you really need a stage win at GC. That's like Ineos's minimum sort of expectation, I think. Well, before we come to our verdict, who's kind of been your rider of the season for them? That's a hard one, because it, it could be so many. It was so easy for me to yeah, say. Yeah, they are quite... Yeah, they're quite a well-rounded squad when you think about it. Ethan Hater obviously had some a crash or something he was recovering from. Yeah, Carlos Rodriguez, obviously, if you think about the tour, and Il Lombardia, Josh Tarling. Now you remind me, Josh Tarling, I think, is my rider of the season for Ineos Grenadiers. The, f- the fact that he's not even 20. Yeah, that's Not great. even. Winning the I- corner de Nashville. I have stood next to him, and he is about five times my height. Yeah, like Colonna de Nation, European Championship. Like he's nineteen, and he's beating the elites here. World yeah. champs, third. He almost won that stage of the Tour of Wallonie TT, but that was against Ghana. He's the national. He came national champion as well. I. It is he's truly insane. like he's, his he's a monster. Like his like entry into TTs and his ability to execute them is just probably one of the best percentage like strike rates in the Peloton this year because it's just it's just mental. But what about you? Who do you who are you gonna go with? I feel like I couldn't go with Pidcock. That's too that was too biased of me. Yeah, it's a hard one because it's like I can't even say Rodriguez, but that feels a bit. Yeah, and then I want to see, say Gary Thomas because he did so well at the Giro, but mm-hmm. mm, I'll give it to Carlos Rodriguez because at your first ever tour, getting a stage and a top five is pretty, pretty good. But with that, we come to the deciding point now. And uh, yeah, Patrick, what are you going to give them out of 10 as a team for 2023? I'm inclined to go relatively high. 8.5. That's what's kind of jumping out of me. I oh, think it was wow. considering that when you take into the consideration that they were never really expected to do that well in the tour. I know the Vuelta was an absolute write-off, but if you take everything else they did, it was pretty good. No monument, but they were on the podium of two of them in Liège and Milana San Remo. Lots of TT victories. Grand Tour podium. I wanted to check what you gave the other teams. So just to put it in perspective, you've given obviously 9.5 to Yombo. Yombo. Yeah. You gave 7 to Abora, 7.5 to a little Trek, and now an 8.5. So... I've, I've, I am seeing perfect reasoning. I, <laughs> I, if I was to say like, what, yeah, I think that, that filters in about right. Yeah, also 36 victories. Okay, I'm going to go for an 8 because I think you make some sound points. 
that is basically it for Ineos Grandier's team review of the 2023 season. Make sure to check out the Cycling Dame podcast where we have some of the other teams as well. And uh, yeah, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel here. Let us know, let us know down in the comments what you thought of Ineos Grandier's season. Hit the like button. And of course, check out Patrick's channel, Audio Cycling and the Echelon Cycling Podcast we have every Monday. But with that, thank you very much for watching and we will see you in the next team review.